Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Andy Daniel and I am here with Katie Sorensen, who is the Peer Services Coordinator for Montana's Peer Network. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. So one of the things we want to talk about today is peer support in the criminal justice system. And you've recently been part of creating a curriculum to help train peer supporters. It's actually a three-day training, and it goes over, um, well, basically all the skills that we think that are vital to successful peer support programs in the criminal justice system, all, all the areas of the criminal justice system. And who helped you in the development of that curriculum? So we had a work group that included Jim Haney, Michael Accardi, Lori Pope, John Roberts, and myself. So you've got a lot of people across the state that have come together to work on that training. Yeah, and I think that the most important thing, well, to me anyway, the most important thing about that work group is that all of those people have successfully navigated the criminal justice system and gotten are in recovery currently and basically successful in their lives. So can you talk to us a little bit about what is going on in this re-entry movement with peer support? Yeah, I think that providers and agencies and, you know, organizations in the criminal justice system are really starting to realize, which we've all already known this for a long time, that people are literally slipping through the cracks as far as um, transitioning into society, making it through programs. The regulations are extremely difficult to follow and adhere to when you you have little to no life skills and, and little to no recovery. And I think that organizations are more and more getting on board with the fact that recovery is so important for people transitioning. And so, you know, the Montana State Prison has expressed interest in a peer support program. Drug court programs are having amazing success with peer support in the criminal justice system. And I think that what's going on is we're seeing more and more of a integration of behavioral health and the criminal justice system. People are really getting on board with this as far as like preventing recidivism and whatnot. Can you talk a little bit about what the training includes, like what the model is that you're using and and the pieces of that? Yeah, so we structured the entire training about around what's called the sequential intercept model, referred to as SIM. Basically, there's zero to five intercepts, and at each intercept, gradually progresses. Intercept zero is before the police have been called. Intercept one is the police have been called. Intercept two is when you have actually been arrested, and it kind of goes through that process. Intercept three is within an institution, including the forensic unit at um, the Montana State Hospital. And then um, four is probation and basically re-entry from those programs. And then the the final one is um, re-entry. So 
basically like coming out of anything like that. And so that's the structure of the main part. And we we talk about how to provide peer support in all of the intercepts. And so when you come to this training, you will probably have a specific piece of the criminal justice system that you are interested in working in or a particular intercept that you're already working in. However, we felt it was really important to ensure that peer supporters are trained in all of these intercepts. And basically, each intercept goes over the programs across the nation that are succeeding with peer support in that intercept, basically pointing out the variety of ways that peer support can work in the criminal justice system and also how how we can integrate those ideas and what's new on the forefront of those ideas and then um, how to collect data in each intercept, how to provide peer support, what are the skills, you know, we just do a wide range and then... um, on either end, kind of the bookend of the sequential intercept model training piece is basically we build you up and we talk about bias and barriers. And then in the end, we talk about these other kind of remaining skills and knowledge that we think is going to be vital for peer support in the criminal justice system, such as how do we as peer supporters work work with criminal thinking kind of in the same way that Um, as motivational interviewing kind of roles with resistance. As peer supporters, we want to kind of find a way to not fight criminal thinking, but funnel it into a different form or life skill, right? And so then we talk about boundaries and ethics and all the things that are going to be crucial to uh, ensure successful programming within these intercepts. Can you tell me a little bit more about those intercepts? Like, like what does the intercept mean and and how does that relate to the services that you provide? Right. So the intercept is actually refers to the link from one service to the other. An example would be a person coming from the Montana State Prison into the pre-release. And so the intercept actually refers to the space between those two. And so uh, what we would like to do is what we want to do is we kind of want to foster more continuity of care, for lack of a better word. We want to make it easier for people to come from one place to another through the intercept more successfully and more easily. We want to kind of buffer. That's the word I'm looking for. We want to buffer that transition to make to ensure that people are more successful when as they re-enter society. There's a link between, and, and so when we talk about the intercept model, what we're really talking about is how somebody starts out in the criminal justice system, and that could be phone call to the police where somebody could be in a mental health crisis or, you know, and, and we talk a lot about crisis intervention training in that intercept. However, that's intercept zero, and we feel like a lot of peer supporters are already working in intercept zero. So we focus mainly on one through five, and so basically what we talk about is what happens from the time somebody gets the police called on them which is where we have the most opportunity to divert somebody entering the criminal justice system. Because if we can intervene right there, we can prevent somebody from ever entering the criminal justice system. However, once somebody is arrested, at that point, they then enter the criminal justice system, and that's at intercept two. And so we really walk through what being a peer supporter looks like when you're helping somebody as they're arrested, they're sitting in jail, 
they're going to have to go to an arraignment, maybe take a plea agreement, maybe get to a, go to sentencing, go to trial, all those different things. And so at that point, they would be, if they are sentenced to a drug court program or correctional treatment facilities such as Elkhorn or Nexus or Connections Corrections, at that point, they would transition from jail, which is two, into Intercept 3, which is a more, which is inside, right, quote unquote inside. And so at that point, they it's our job as peer supporters to kind of make the most, help people get the most benefit for their recovery through that process. At level three, or intercept three, they would kind of move from, they would complete their programming in intercept three, and that could be the state prison. It could be anywhere that's inside except the jail, right? And even jail is included, however, not in that intercept two where they're going through the arrest and trial process, right? So at that point, they would either go into a pre-release center or they would go into a re-entry. There's a couple of uh, re-entry programs in the state, uh, the Re-Entry Task Force in Billings and Partners for Reintegration in Missoula. Uh, They could either transition into a program like that, at which we would direct them to a variety of services. I think that that's the exception and not the rule. Basically, I feel like many, many people leave leave the inside Intercept 3 and go to a pre-release center. That's Intercept 4, and we talk about reentry programs and how to navigate those and help people with the concerns and the fears and all the barriers that they might face in the pre-release program. Then at that point, they would go on to probation and parole, and I think I might have mixed those up when I said them earlier, but in probation and parole is intercept five, and at that point, they're learning how to live in society, they're learning how to hold a job, kind of avert technical violations of their probation, and so that's kind of a big piece that's a concern and for the ACLU and in legislature. The ACLU is really focused on these technical violations and how difficult it is to successfully navigate your way out of probation and parole, and I, I believe that with the right training, peer support can be a monumental help for individuals trying to get out of probation and parole by utilizing recovery tools. So this isn't a training that is just available to any peer supporter, right? As, as a group, we decided, and it was very important to us to make sure that the requirements are high. We didn't want to make them so high that we eliminated our job pool, but we did want to make them high enough that people have enough training and recovery and experience to more to enhance their success rates. Due to the fact that we have kind of seen uh, a, maybe a trend, but there are some concerns about people that don't have enough recovery time and enough recovery tools and enough experience in recovery. We basically want people to succeed, and we we don't want one person's mistake to black the eye of the entire peer support movement in the criminal justice system. And, and the other piece that we were really concerned about that we thought was vitally important is that people have been in the field for two years. So we, we you have to be in recovery for two years because that's what's required for certification. You have to be certified to take the peer support and the criminal justice tra- system training. And then on top of that, we require that you have two years experience or if you have a job or a job offer already in the criminal justice system. We didn't want to make the requirement so high that, you know, if you're already working in the criminal justice system, we want you to get the training. So we didn't want to make it impossible for people who are already doing this work. However, we do, we did want to stress 
that compassion fatigue and boundary issues and ethics breaches, ethical breaches are, it's very important that those kinds of things are, that we already have skills in place to deal with those things. And we just want to make sure that people have enough experience with those phenomena, so to speak, that they already know how to counter those those things going going into the field. So you have to have lived experience in the criminal justice system, right? Yeah, that's that's you can't help somebody navigate their way out of the criminal justice system unless you have been in it. it it's kind of it's one of those things and it's the same as all lived experience. Like nothing equals somebody having lived experience and and being able to validate that experience for you. I think that with the criminal justice system, it is particularly tricky. And I believe that people that could be of the most benefit to people in the criminal justice system are people who have actually made it out of it. Right. Having an understanding of how those systems work and what those pieces are in between, like you say, the intercepts and and stuff, I think is just unique to people who have been through the system. You know, there's, I feel like there's no amount of like book learning that would prepare you for what that's really like. Exactly. I, I believe that this happens too in the mental health field with hospitalizations, but I feel like there is so much shame and I believe there's so much trauma that happens as a result of, you know, institutional trauma, I guess you would call it. Institutions need to do what they need to do to ensure the safety of citizens and also the way that we kind of provide those services, so to speak, are very traumatizing. And um, the numbers say, I, I'm not, I don't remember exactly, but I think it said 85% of people in the in the criminal justice system are trauma survivors. I'm not, I'm not 100% positive, but I'm almost positive that it was 85%. And so what we're looking at is trauma survivors going through more trauma. And often I feel like what, you know, the number one thing of people coming out of those systems is that they, they lack confidence. They feel this shame and it's, you're not really a part of your community. You have all this disconnection and there's barriers. And especially in in the case of, you know, violent offenders and sex offenders, then they, they automatically have all these other barriers where they can't get housing and they can't get into school. And there's just a variety of things that I believe that it's very difficult for somebody who hasn't had to make their way. You know, many people are like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think that there's a lot of things that we need to understand in order to, you you absolutely can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You absolutely can. But I think that having help but from somebody who has actually, like, made it through that tricky system is, you know, it's paramount. So I think one thing that might be troublesome, I guess, for, for some people and, and why you want to have lots of lived experience or, or at least, you know, a certain two years or, or whatever it is, is I think there's a real possibility of secondary trauma, right? If you're not far enough removed from your experience, then helping somebody else is going to bring that stuff up again. And are you prepared to deal with that secondary trauma. Truly. Yeah, we actually have uh, 
like I said, in one of the bookends, on the, in the last section of the training, we talk about what have you done to address, to address your trauma, because it's so important. And, and for an example, I'll just use my own testimony. There is one, one place in particular that I, I know for a fact, like I definitely could not provide peer support in, in that place because of my own trauma. I just don't know that I could trust myself to uphold all the rules and regulations and stick by the policy of that place. And even though I'm so grateful that I got to go to that place because it gave me an opportunity at recovery, nonetheless, I took a lot of pain away from there. And so I, I don't know, you know, I've done things in the jail, you know, and when I go into the jail, I'm okay, but I can still feel that, you know what I mean? I can still feel that feeling of like, oh my God, are they going to let me back out? Oh, these poor people. I feel so bad for them. Oh my God. I just remember how painful that was. And I feel it like instantly. And I feel like a trend that I see with with peer supporters is they kind of minimize the impact of those kinds of situations. And I think over time, those things do definitely take a toll and, and they don't have to, if you're prepared, if you're right, if you're armed with the skills and knowledge that you need, and when you can see those things coming, then you can deal with them accordingly. And I think that minimizing the, the validity of that that thing that happens to you, if when we minimize that it actually is happening or that it's going to happen, then we've already kind of succumbed to that impact, right? And so as long as we like talk about it and we admit it and we know it's there and we know it's coming, we can prepare for it and we can deal with it. But if we minimize the, how much that's going to hurt or whatever, then... Yeah, and that's not necessarily limited to the criminal justice system if you're if you go back to like the state hospital if if that's where you receive treatment or into a crisis stabilization or something it's important to be aware of how you react to those places that you've been before or that remind you of places that you've been before uh, and and I agree I think some people don't realize how much of an impact that has that you can kind of put it away until you're back in that situation again yeah like that are they gonna let me out I think people with mental health issues that have been hospitalized probably have that same kind of feeling, yeah right are they gonna let me out and it can be totally irrational but it's still there absolutely it's it's the fear right the fear of that or just remembering. And, and I do believe that, um, you know, some of the things that happen to you when you go into institutions is you really become, you get isolated from your support system, from your loved ones. And I think that that piece right there is um, traumatizing and it causes so much pain. And I the same is true with the state hospital or, you know, if you go into crisis stabilization centers and hospitals and things like that, um, that disconnection is so scary and it just... It, it instantly takes you back. Like, I can hear a noise and it takes me back, you know. Why else do you think that it's important for peer support specialists to, tr to take this training? Because I believe that there's a learning curve, basically, to just, just lay it out there. I see um, some kind of ethical breaches going on across the state. And it's not prevalent. It's not like all the peer supporters are doing these things. However, 
I think that there's something to be said, you know, when somebody takes a 40-hour training, they learn the skills and knowledge. Learning to practice those ethical and professional tactics and skills, it takes it takes a long time. There's a learning curve. And so, you know, even when I was in school, I worked in a um, treatment center, and I did a, I did a couple I made a couple ethical breaches, right? And I took, I was in college for four years or whatever to learn how to uphold an ethical standard and to do these things. And I, I believe that even, even then I still did a couple things while I was working during my practicum that were ethically um, not okay. They were mistakes and I had to learn from them and I had to talk to my supervisor and my clin- in clinical supervision and really learn how to do things differently the next time. And I, I believe that that learning curve takes time, I think that this training gives you a very realistic view on how easy it is to make an ethical breach. And also, and I really, I really put a lot of thought into ensuring that those ethical concerns are addressed in the training. And so the training is really geared around preventing ethical breaches. So it, it, goes over all the skills because I absolutely don't believe that you can run a successful program, period, in any field if you're not getting training. Training is fundamental for success. So I don't care if you are a motivational interviewer or if you are running a gym or if you're a peer supporter. Training is essential. Everybody gets training. If you want to be good at your job, training is essential. So so as far as that goes, the training is essential if we want to succeed in the criminal justice system, but also this piece about right now, peer support in the criminal justice system is fragile. People need to go in there with the skills and tools that they, to make sure the programs succeed because success in the programs is going to build credibility within the system, right? When people have more and more success, those programs, they're going to get credibility and they're going to build relationships with those organizations like the Montana State Prison, like Elkhorn and Nexus. These programs are, and if we're not doing good work, they're not going to want us there. And right now they absolutely do want us there. And so I believe that this training kind of works to prevent peer supporters from making mistakes that could jeopardize the entire movement. I believe that this training provides the skills and tools that peer supporters need to have the most efficacy in their programs. And so this training, I, when with the parts that I created, I created from a stance of I've been in a lot of those places and I really came from my heart about what could mess it up, what is what will be the most helpful and how can we all stay on the side of recovery and how can people get recovery in every single intercept you know without recovery people aren't not they can't succeed right mm-hmm. people have to recover and so this piece about you know re-entry when we talk about re-entry programs it's it's about housing and it's about getting jobs and it's about fighting stigma and all those things are really important but honestly I could have come out of any one of those places and you could have given me a job and you could have given me a house and I could not keep it without recovery. All those things kind of come into play in this training. And I I absolutely believe that this training is a comprehensive model 
for us to use to get the most success out of our programs. Great. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Katie. We will be posting our upcoming trainings on our website, right? So when we schedule these peer support in the criminal justice system trainings, they'll be up there. Can you talk just a little bit about that uh, application process? When you actually fill out the application, there's a $230 fee. I feel like it's important for people to know that. And then when you fill out the application, it's going to ask you questions. And basically, when when I go over the application, if you're not certified, if you don't have two years in the field or you're not already employed, those, those things will automatically disqualify you from the training. So... I feel like those are the two essential things. You can find the application on our website at www.mtpeernetwork.org. Those are the two main things that I feel like people need to know is that you have to meet those minimal minimal requirements and that the training costs $230. Thanks for talking with me today, Katie. We're really excited about having this training opportunity out there. I think it's a need that we've had for a long time and, and it's taken a lot of time and effort to get this put together. I agree. I'm excited about it too. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.